Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Brian O'Connell. And I'm Sean M. Thompson. And today we're going to be talking about a very famous horror film from the late 1970s. It's 1979's Amityville Horror, directed by Stuart Rosenberg, written by Sanders Stern, based on the 1977 book, which was allegedly based on a true story. Um, And it stars James Brolin and Margot Kidder. And it is scored by Lalo Schifrin, who, interestingly, was nominated for an Academy Award for his work here. So that was... Really? Yeah, no, I, I, I was just... When I was just getting the uh, info up, I, I noticed that it was nominated for an Oscar for the music. So that's that's odd. But, uh, I mean, I guess it was okay. I don't know. It wasn't... I, I wouldn't have yeah. guessed... Oscar worthy, but wasn't the most remarkable score, but you know, whatever. And and also uh to close it off, it was distributed by I noticed this, you know, not knowing anything about it while watching the credits. It was distributed by American International Pictures, which was most famous, I think, at least in my experience for the sort of B-horror movies, most notably the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe movies of the 60s. And they have, you know, a long and storied legacy of producing sort of cult classic horror movies like this. So that was just, wanted to give that a shout out. (laughs) Yeah, it was AIP, um, which always, I don't know why it surprises me, but it, it always does when I see that. Because usually when I think of AIP, I think of, like, no offense, but to them, but, like, you know, lower quality films. Yes, no, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think of, like, absolute, like, drive-in garbage most of the time with, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, the American equivalent of uh, Hammer Horror, basically. Yes, yes, yes. And then, you know, I do actually really love the Vincent Price movies with, you know, Pit and the Pendulum and everything. But it is, you know, sort of lurid, trashy, cheap films. Whereas this, I mean, I, I didn't love this film. I'll just say this right at the top. But it does have a certain professionalism and almost Hollywood air to it that uh, belies the sort of B movie origins. Like it does feel like a a higher budget, more uh, you know, a professional film than than the other fair that they're more known for. Um, it does. Um, I have a. I don't know how I feel about this film. I guess mm-hmm. when I get right down to it, like it's it's one of those important films where like. It's like Night of the Living Dead, where I don't necessarily love Night of the Living Dead, but I recognize that it was very influential. Oh, yes, yeah. And so it's easy to look back on it like, well, this is sort of cliche and tired when it's like, but it invented those cliches. Right, 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 right. This... And in the same yeah, go ahead. Know, regard, I think Amityville Horror... Um, I mean, you know, there had been already Haunted House stuff, but I think it established some interesting kind of tropes oh certainly certainly i mean it is but it yeah it's very uneven it's so to me like okay first off like i think the story not just with the film but like the story of the amityville horror in general is is sort of interesting as a cultural phenomenon because like 
for some reason, there are a lot of allegedly true haunted house stories. Um, but for some reason, the Amityville horror is the one that sort of made it into like became like a cultural phenomenon like for some reason um well here's the thing so when we were watching this with my partner i mentioned like oh you know that is interesting that they have this fake book um that became this huge thing and then they made the movie and she was like well but the murders were real yeah yeah in fact as i was reading just before this episode the the original murderer died this year only this year um he died in 2021 so it's you know it, it, there is a very real component in the sense that you know a murder did occur in the house and then the Lutz family or Lutz or whatever it is they did move in um they did i think the thing is after that though they i'm pretty sure someone came forward and was like yeah this we just made this up cuz we needed money and we were losing money on the house or something yeah no i mean and certainly, like, I was reading about, like, there was a whole series of books, and each... Oh, was there? I thought there was only the one. There was one, but then there were several sequels, um, and... What would you even talk about in this? Well, in the second book, which is the only of the books that also claims to be based on a true story, it's, um, they get pursued by the spirit across the country, and, like, you know, it, it felt... It's obviously a hoax. Like, it's not like... Yeah. They actually revise elements of the ending of the first book to be more like the movie. <laughs> so... Yeah, so that's that's sort of your first inkling. Like, if it's based on a true account, but then they're editing it to be more like the movie. But anyway, it, it doesn't... I mean, to me, like, with haunted house stories, whether it's true or fictional or a scam, like... That that I don't think that ultimately really matters. Like, um, I mean, it certainly matters in terms of like, you know, are you scamming people or whatever. But I think about you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They have the oh, this is based on a true story, and it's not. And I think there's a common understanding that audiences have that these things aren't really real. They're just sort of... Well, you would think so, but I think it wasn't until... It wasn't until Fargo that came out in, I think, 96 that had that this is a true story. As a sort of... And then when the Collins were very upfront, like, this is not a true story. We just wanted to have the effect that audiences sort of finally realized, like, oh, it's it could not be real, yeah. Yeah, it started to become, like, a, an almost ironic device of having it be there. But, yeah, no, you're right. It's just, what I mean to say is that it's less interesting to me whether the story of... Yeah, whether it's real or not. It's, it's more... Int- well, I mean, real... You know, the thing about Haunted House stuff is, like, how would you ever know if it was real or not? It's, like, I feel like some yeah. of that is so subjective. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not... It's the sort of thing you either experience or you don't experience. I mean, we're getting into, you know, weird territory now. I don't really believe in ghosts, although I guess I do admit that there are things that, you know, you can't explain and uh, people have experiences that are very real to them that, you know, I'm not quick to write off. As just... I mean, I, I think my version of ghosts is... I believe more in like the power of the mind to project. Right, right, right. And but I'm not 
I go almost the other way where I'm like, maybe they're like tulpas, like people with certain types of abilities are like manifesting what they're thinking of kind of a thing. Right, 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 right. I, I get what I you I don't mean. know what makes more sense, like that dead people are, you know, walking around or that somebody thinks of a dead person then that person's walking around. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. I see. No, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful, you know, thing to speculate about because you could go off in so many directions. And I have read stories that, you know, or heard stories even from people who um, I don't believe are lying about what they're saying. Like, I don't know what to make of what they're saying, but I don't, I don't think it's always like a fabrication or something um, or a hallucination. Although in this case, in the case of the Amityville horror specifically, it is, a definite it is definitely yes. a fabrication. But, but anyway, what? But it, I, well, I think wisely what they did was they realized there was an actual murder and then they took the real and incorporated the fake into it. Like basically the real case gave them a little bit more legitimacy right, that they wouldn't right, have had right, otherwise. Right, right. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing that like urban legends sort of need, I feel in a way is that they need to have a, like at least an element of truth to like sweeten it. And then you can, you can spin the wildest, you know, fictions from it. But um, for an effective thing to catch fire, you know, it should have an element of truth, like the exorcist, right? Like it isn't, and yeah. it's not an authentic representation of an actual exorcism that happened at but all. But it is based on a quote-unquote real but, case. But it alludes to an actual thing that happened, and that's all you need, really, to be, like, you know, gripped by it in a way. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, it, it's interesting to me that this is the this is the haunted house story that gripped the national imagination and... Like this movie was a huge success. Like, I wonder how much of it was um, based. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Did you have to come in here and have a hairball? Okay, kitty, come on. <laughs> Just hurry up, please. All right, come on. <laughs> Uh, uh, She bugs me to get in and then she'll do this. (laughs) (laughs) I hear like a Yeah, she's got a hairball. Oh, I see. I don't understand cats. They'll have hairballs and then immediately go and lick themselves again. Yeah, I think some of the success might be attributed to the, um, the economic recession in the 70s and how this story, um... One of the important things I think about the film is it actually gets into the, I guess what you'd think of as financial horror or what I think of as social horror, but it deals with the various aspects of modern civilization. Um, But one of the big factors is the economic factors. Like, you know, over and over in the film, they say like, you know, we can't like, we just bought this house and we can't afford this and we can't afford that. And, are this business is going under and you know this check is bouncing and it, it in a way that I had I don't know that it had been done in a horror film before right 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 well it's definitely like obviously with by by virtue of the premise of buying a house it it in, 
integrates economic anxieties. And the thing that is interesting is that in contrast, I guess, to a lot of, um, you know, haunted house films of the past, this is, I don't know if they're working class, but they're ordinary people, I guess. They're like, they're not... Yeah, um, I mean, one of the things that... And I get it. Like, I love, you know, the sprawling gothic manner that's haunted as much as the next person. But there is definitely, when everything is like our mansion that's haunted, at some point you go, like, aren't, like, regular people's houses haunted too? Like, you know, middle class people? Well, And I get, you you know, the, the mansion itself, since it's bigger and there's, like, parts of it you can't see... It, it lends itself to that, but right. at the same time, I do like working-class uh, haunted stories. Right. Well, I think also with, like, the sort of uh, Baroque, Gothic haunted house stories, like, honestly, like, the wealth and the opulence becomes part of the haunting and the strangeness and all of it. Like, you know, that sort of context of... Yeah, because you know, they're, like, shut off from civilization and they can no longer... I honestly yeah. think part of it is... There's got to be some psychological element of people writing about these rich people and sort of at the back of their mind hoping for bad things to happen to them because yeah. they are so yeah. affluent. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of a, you know, almost like a sadistic pleasure in watching rich people get terrorized. Yeah, like a <laughs> yeah but, um, but this is very different in that it is like, you know, again, I, I don't know if I'd call them exactly working class, but they are like... They're not. They're they're middle class people. I mean, they they're... have money. I I will say, having recently, well, recently in the last couple of years, my partner bought a house, and and uh, when they look through this enormous house on the water, and they're like, "This is going to be like eighty thousand dollars," I like laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah, and no, then they I... make the joke of like, "It might as well be eight hundred thousand. I'm like, "Well, that's what it is now, probably." <laughs> It's crazy. I mean, honestly, I think the house, by the way, just a tangent, the actual house is is up for sale. So yeah, no, actually, Emily looked it up and it is like 850 or something. Wow. So there you go. It anticipated things in in more way than one more ways than one. I think the only reason it's not a million is because they know so many people are probably visiting every day. And that's probably not gonna. I actually looked up what like residents of the house after the Litz family said uh, about it and they said yeah no there's no like haunting the only thing that is bothering us is that people show up on millions of people show up yeah yeah just trying to take pictures or whatever and it's creepy uh, and intrusive but you know i guess that's a haunting of its own uh, in a way <laughs> but um but anyway but anyway i guess we should get into the yeah i mean we should get into the actual um the actual plot so yeah i think the the beginning is effective we have this and again i i you know i find the score a little hokey but that you know at the time it was probably a decent enough horror score right 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 um but so it was decent but yeah we see the house and i will admit the house is very creepy looking they have these windows in the attic that they're usually lit and they look like eyes they make great use of those windows. Like there are a lot of really good shots of the house with the just those two windows lit and like kind of staring at the viewer. And they do it the thing that the thing about it is that it works in like multiple contexts. Like 
you know, they show you the house in like the rain and then other times it's shots of it with like flowers bursting all around it and everything, but it still has that sort of uncanny quality to it. So actually, like to me, like, I think maybe my favorite thing about this film is just the production design is really great. I think that's easily my favorite too, because the acting is, is good enough, but you know, there's some weird decisions in the editing we mentioned off air. I think sometimes the editing could have been better. Yeah, no, there's the, you were talking about early on when they're being shown around the house, like, you know, they sort of intercut it with like scenes of the murder Which I think and then works. But if it had been cut together a little better, it would have worked a lot better. It it works. And I, it, you know, it, it establishes the creepy atmosphere and everything. But there's this one moment on when they're walking up the stairs that yeah, normally it's like they open the door in the they present. Open the in door. the past, they cut to someone shooting whoever was in the room. But this is just and I think it's because there's no door for them to open. Uh, <laughs> but they're then like why? halfway up the stairs and then it just freeze frames. And, and has, has scary like someone noise. getting shot and then cuts back and it's like goes out of the freeze frame and it's like that that could have been a better way to do that. Yeah, it was it was confusing. Like because up until that point it's all match cuts with like, you know, one person's opening the door and then it's the murderer opening the door and then like, it's like I could the... literally when that when they when it happened, I'm like, so you just ran out of ways to do you, you had no <laughs> idea how to do the match cuts. Yeah, I thought I actually thought initially that my video was lagging. Yeah, because you or think something. like, oh, did my DVD skip or whatever? But, but no, no, it's just a strange freeze frame. It is. But anyway, um, but yeah. So back to the beginning, um, we basically hear gunshots in the house, and you know it's highly implied that people are getting. I think they're actually. Do they cut inside the house in the beginning? Yeah, the, I yeah, think they, they, they show you. The so they show people getting shot. There's like a mother yeah. and a father. And uh, the blood and everything. Of, um, yeah. Smaller children. Um, and then we're, you know, with the, um, I was about to say cleanup crew. I guess that, you know, more or less <laughs> the law enforcement and all that. Yeah. And they're wheeling the bodies in and um, just kind of talking about like, wow, this is such a tragedy. Um and one effect I do like, actually, which I think the sound design is actually really good in this film. Well, it's good. I don't know about really it's good. It's good. No, I would say it's good, too. I noticed but, that. So they have this effect where you hear the rain and the ambient noise, and then they they roll one of the bodies into the back of this car. And as soon as they shut the door, it's just silence. And it, like, really, it's a very effective yeah. use of sound because it kind of yeah. mimics the, like, you know, the silence of death. Yeah, no, there are actually a lot of um, scenes in the film where they make, like, sudden effective use of silence, I think. Like, even in the sequence we were just talking about, you know, the music score just cuts off when it's them being shown around the house, and then it cuts right back in with the murder scenes and everything. So, And I think, you know, part of that, a part of the... Part of it might just be that they are AIP, so they didn't care, you know? Like, just do whatever you want. It works. It works, though. Like, But it does work. Um, so we cut to a year later, and a realtor's showing the house to the Lutzes. You have, uh, I was about to say Josh, James Brolin. Mm-hmm. You have Margot Kidder. Any relation? Yeah, he's his dad. 
Oh, really? So, like, I thought that that was the case, but I, I wasn't looked it sure. up to double check. But yeah, it's his dad. And then we have, yeah, as you were saying, Margot Kidder, who I immediately recognized from both Brian De Palma's sisters, where she plays the evil twins, which she's great in that, and um, Black Christmas, which is one of my favorite slasher movies. She's she's one of the, I don't know if she gets murdered, but she's one of the girls in the sorority. Yeah, I mean, I like her as an actress. I think she was in Indiana Jones, too. Oh, really? Let me, I think I'm so. just checking <coughs> Um, Yeah, she was, hmm, where Maybe am I not. looking? She was in Superman. That's oh, interesting. you know what? That's what I'm... Th- Lois Lane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway, just just an actress I recognize right off I the bat. as much as I like James Brolin's performance in this, I, well, it's not like she... Well, I think they care, They both kind of share the weight on the film. Definitely not the right. child actors. <laughs> no, no, no. Not the child just actors. just not amazing. Um, but... Well, I mean, they carry the film in different ways. I mean, Margot Kidder is more of the, I guess, audience, sort of the audience stand-in where she's seeing her family kind of fall apart and she's trying to hold everything together. Right, right, right. And And uh, George is more of a, almost like, you know, I saw Jack Nicholson comparison. Yeah, you know what's funny is when I was watching this, I'm like, did this come out before or after The Shining? And it came out... At least the books, it came. They came out within a month of each other, so it, yeah. it couldn't have been on purpose. Because, like, right. I don't think there's a way Stephen King would have. Well, maybe he read an early version of it, but you know, it takes at least a year to write a book or something. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a one-to-one comparison. No, but I think it's just something about that time period. Uh, whether yeah. it was the economic hardship or what, just it lent itself to having men with large beards and hair and flannel shirts with axes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And I would say the big difference for me, and I'm just, I haven't read the novel, so I'm only comparing with Kubrick's film, which was was later than this movie. Yeah, that it's was just 79, that in, I think. In Kubrick's film, um, Jack Nicholson clearly already hates his family <laughs> and is already like sort of like looking... he's already you can tell at the start of the film he's already sort of like holding it together by a thread whereas in this film you do get a sense that the dad is a warm dad who's being more like sinisterly controlled by the house in a way it is but but they do have an interesting effect where he's the stepdad yes oh yes that dynamic of like the other like you know the strange man that starts dating your mom kind of a thing yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an unease already present within right, the, the family. Right, because at one point dynamic. when they're going back to the chronological order, they're going through the house, and the realtor says, "Do you have any kids?" And James or George goes, "Yeah, we have, you know, such and such kids, three kids, yeah." And it sort of takes Margot Kidder back a little bit, which, to mm. be fair, I don't think it should, because like, no, no, he's supposed to be the dad. Yeah. It's, 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 there's certainly, there's a definite unease there. But it's definitely, um, you know, it comes up again and again, like, oh, I'm sorry about, like, you know, we'll cut, we'll get to it. But at one point they're having sex and the, one of the little girls goes in, or the only little girl, rather. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, you know, I'm sorry about that. Um, right, right. But yeah, yeah. so um, anyway, you know, they do the, they go through the house. They have the scene we mentioned before where there's the match cuts, uh, where they see each room and then they cut to the people that got murdered in the rooms. Right, right, right. And eventually the Lutzes, they decide to buy the house. Yes, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, they have that brief discussion touching on the economic elements of it um, in the attic together by the two windows where, you know, they're, they're talking over how expensive it is and, you know, is it a worthwhile investment and whatever, but they do decide to buy the house and then they invite a priest, Father Delaney, to come and bless the home. And that's where we get our first sort of supernatural sequence is that, and I thought this was one of the more effective scenes for me, um, is that because it's so simple, but it does a lot with with what it has, is that um, the family is playing outside and the priest is upstairs in the room with the windows. I'm and sorry. Gradually, <laughs> Just hold on <laughs> I just gotta move this paper that's sitting on my chair. My cat's gonna make this noise the whole time otherwise. Hold on a sec. God damn it, kitty. I am recording. Could you not do this? And then we get our first supernatural occurrence where... Uh, the pri- they invite the priest to come and bless the house, and he goes up to the attic with the two windows. Um, the family is outside playing, and they keep intercutting. Um, and the priest basically starts to bless the house, but basically this uh, accumulation of flies appears in the room, and it starts to, like crawl all over the window and on his face and he begins to experience nausea or whatever and there's a you know ultimately the door is opened and there's the sinister demonic voice saying get out you know which is a classic that's become a classic horror trope it has become I, a I don't classic know thing, but how I, I established that. I do but. appreciate that it's a haunted house thing that deals with demons. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very um, clearly drawing on, like, you know, demon imagery that that is... Yeah, like with the flies and with the priest coming in. I would like to add, this man knocks, waits five seconds, and then just enters this home. You know, like, I, I guess they're... Maybe that's like a time thing or something. I don't. I don't know. Just looking at it now in 2021, it's yeah. like really good. Yeah, and I like, just look. So I was kind of like, good for the ghost, man. Like you need to. Yeah. Like I don't know about upstate New York, <laughs> but like I don't know. You might get shot. Well, it that says way. that they're friends, right? Like or. Yeah, but even still, if I came home and my friend was just in my house, I'd be yeah, a and I guess that is. Yeah, no, it is weird. But yeah, no. I mean, it's, I think it's an effective scene. It's been parodied in scary. Of movies. course, what what um, hasn't? Which was actually what I remembered it from, which is pretty sad. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think I saw it. Uh, something like it in The Simpsons is where I is where I first encountered this this scene. But um, I forget which 
But yeah, he gets really sick. He might even be having some sort of heart yeah, trouble. Yeah, he, he throws up when he gets out of the house. He basically just, you know, runs out of the house um, uh, after the after the voice tells him to get out. Um, yeah, and it's an interesting thing that comes up again and again, and especially with George, where um, chronologically after this. We cut to like later that night, I think, and George comes into the kitchen and he's just like, you know, his, his, uh, Margot Kidder, I forget her character. Uh, name. Kathy. Kathy is like, you want to eat dinner? And he's like, no, I don't feel well. And then he's complaining about how cold it right, feels. Right, right, right. And that's the start of his, you know, gradual decline over the course of the film. And I will also say, I don't know what they did to make him look so haggard by the end of this film. But it, it does really, work. It's good makeup. I don't know if it's that they put like red makeup around his eyes or whether they just actually had him it not sleep. It looks but... like there's some sort of red eyeliner or something. And then like there's his face gets so sallow and like uh, pale and everything. Also, one of the things that just st- leaped out to me while watching this is that the recurring motif is that because it's cold, he wants firewood. So he's constantly angrily chopping wood outside his house. That's true. And yeah, actually, I was, that is true. So it, the difference between this and The Shining is, in this one, the, the axe actually makes sense because he's constantly right. using it. In The Shining, it's just sort of like, there's yeah, an axe. Yeah, but here, that specifically, it just screamed the witch to me. Like, it's like exactly like the witch with the, I mean, it's it's slightly different in terms of what's motivating them, obviously. But the dad, you know, the sort of patriarch who's meant to be responsible, uh, feeling impotent and frustrated, and he takes it out by chopping wood is literally like, that's the witch. That's what happened. <laughs> no, it is in the witch. So speaking of that, they... Have a really odd sex scene. Yeah, that was odd. It was, well... It was sort of, I mean, like, it it was somewhat erotic, but then that was sort of intercut with just, like, how weird the edits were. Well, I actually found it sort of interesting, and this gets back to the production design, is that you'll notice that it could just be bad editing again, like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But uh, most of it is actually shot in this mirror basically that's on the other side of the room right yeah no it that has is this true. their bedroom has this weird mirror that has this like weird it's, pattern yeah, on it it's, too it's a, it's a type of mirror i i definitely see in a lot of older movies even films from the 50s like the Douglas Sirk movies with this Okay, so it's just yeah, a style it's, of mirror, because I was looking at it like, why would you have a mirror with stuff on it? Isn't the whole point to be able to clearly yes, see? Yes, no, it's very ugly. It has this, like, golden... I almost thought at first that it was broken. No, it's just this, this like, marbled pattern on it, basically, that, that like, filters it. It's, like, it's just gross. It's a gross pattern. I mean, definitely when I was looking at the the house itself, all the wallpaper, I was like, oh, God. But for me, the interesting thing about that scene with having it shot mostly in the mirror with this, like, marbled network over it is that it's suggesting that they're already sort of imprisoned by the house, you know? Like, you see... Yeah, no, it's true. You see their Um, bodies behind this, like, uh, sort of 
lattice work on the mirror and it has like you know oh it's like they're being already being part of the walls themselves like you know that that was sort of interesting to me although again i wouldn't you know put bad editing out of the out of the equation but um yeah i mean definitely watching it it made me think of just like how traditional film sex scenes are so silly because it's always like people rubbing their faces together while they're kissing and then just rubbing yeah backs no it's not with like full clothes it's not on. um not re- but there is an interesting aspect i just thought about where so they're making love on the floor right 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 Anytime they're in the bed, that's when bad stuff happens. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, it... So that might have been intentional to try to, like, just make it... And mirroring the beginning with the people getting shot Right, in their right, beds. right. That nothing good can, can happen in the bed because that's where the violence occurred. Um, yeah, and so we... we um, yeah, so the little girl actually comes in and interrupts their lovemaking... Um, uh, the Kathy brings her daughter back to bed and she goes back and, you know, they're laying in bed and she's apologizing and he's like, it's fine. But you get the sense like this is the first notch. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's already. <laughs> and that it does tie into the the family drama element of it with the sort of. um. Yeah, that's where you start to see like the fractures almost. Mm-hmm. The fracturing, yeah, because he is ultimately, he's trying, but he is an outsider. He's not their biological so father. So he feels there's a sense of exclusion there, or a latent exclusion that's being brought out. Yeah, and then we get to, I think what is the most effective element for me, which is that George keeps waking up at 3 in the yeah. morning. This is the first time he wakes up at 3.15. I, th- I think later we discover that is the time when everyone got murdered. Right, 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 right. And I haven't double-checked this, but at least according to The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was not a I really, I don't like that movie, but go ahead. (laughs) It's quite bad. I saw it in college and reviewed it and was like, this is just It's bad bad." and disrespectful, Um, moreover, because it's based on an actual woman who was basically tortured by priests in the name of exorcism. Oh, yeah, that makes it worse. But anyway. um, (laughs) They do establish, you know, three... I don't know if this is real or not, but they said like Christ was crucified at like three thirty-three in the afternoon, so the time of the devil is three thirty-three a.m. I brought that up to Emily, who actually went to Catholic school though, and she's like, "I've never heard." Well, this. I've actually so like, I've actually for some reason at some point in my life um, <laughs> was reading about that that there are a lot of different estimations as to the time when. Jesus died and was crucified. Um, and three three fifteen or three in the afternoon is one of the common hypotheses, although they don't teach it because who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably because when Emily said, well, they didn't teach it in Catholic school, I'm like, well, I don't yeah, think Yeah, like, it's... do you need to know that the, the time Christ died on Good Friday? It doesn't... But I will say for whatever reason... I'm always awake at like three or I'll wake up at three and just be it's like, the oh, devil's no. hour. Yes. But I think it's more just a internal clock yeah, yeah, yeah. thing where it's like your body's like, you're not supposed to be awake right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's. But yeah, so he wakes up at three fifteen. Um, let's see. The f- I don't take notes. I really should. But so the first night. 
the first night, I believe he's just walking around. Yeah, no. It's it nothing too too unusual happens initially. Um and you know, really this film is more of a an accretion of events than like because because I think that's intended to be part of the, you know, true story uh atmosphere is that it's not like it's not always like the, a direct narrative progression um so much as just various things like you know uh coming to fruition later in the film which is both very effective in some ways but also here's my main i'll just okay i'll just say my main critique of the film um and it's not a critique i usually have but it is yeah. i think it applies here I think this film is too long. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's probably 15 minutes too long. I mean, there's like, there's some scenes where they cut from the house where I, I don't know that necessarily it's too long inside the house. I think the peripheral yeah. stuff outside the house though. There's a lot of stuff. Large, it's just too there's long. There's a lot of stuff I felt could have been trimmed because for me, a horror movie like this, and I, again, I you know, I'm not I'm not against long movies. I love many long movies, like very long. No, but if it's shorter, it packs more of a punch. And I guess on my end, with the haunted house narrative, I feel like it works better when it's the most contained it can right. be. And if you're cutting away, there should be like a damn good there's, reason. And more often than not, there isn't. It's just for bad. Th- there's there's a lot of wandering away from the house, and that and that felt unproductive. Like especially various scenes with like the police officer asking around, and like even the even the priest. Like I get um, that Father Delaney is a very important character and part of the. Yeah, I mean, I even like the priest stuff, but I think it could have been shaved down by 10 it minutes at least. It just felt a little like... Like, specifically, there's this one scene of people yelling about the house being haunted and evil. That felt like it went on for, like, forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like, who are these people? Like, I know that guy. Who is everyone else? One of them is the mayor from Jaws. So as soon as I saw him, I'm like, he's not going to help. Right, me. right, 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 right. Yeah. It's it's just, anyway, It for me, like... But it is, yeah, it does It does feel a little bloated at yeah, times. That was my that was my impression of it. Uh, I felt that, you know... And also, like, for me, just honestly, like, a lot of the horror scenes... This is a personal view of the film. It's... They lacked a certain intensity. Not all of them. I I really like. For me, I really like the um, uh, uh, the flies scene that we talked about already. I like the red room element, and obviously near the end, the blood dripping down the stairs, the pig eyes, like all of that is great. But there were there were other moments that felt just sort of I don't know like needed a bit more of a punch to them. I mean, the one of the scenes that... I, I do wonder how much of that is just going down to editing right. again. Not in terms of necessarily the cuts themselves, but 
deciding to to trim back what you filmed because like in in some ways honestly like you know our modern horror films at least the the ones with prestige as they're described although i don't i don't agree with that characterization um modern horror films tend toward a slower more dread-induced pace which can definitely work but in other ways, I feel like horror is also an emotion that derives power from conciseness and quickness. Um, and some of the scenes, I don't know, like it felt as though like the scare that I could have had from that scene was a, a little like worn down by the end of the scene just because of the the way it was put together, the way it was edited. Um so I just felt that, and frankly, also, this is just because, like, earlier in the week, like, I think, like, yeah, earlier in the week, uh, I rewatched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time in, in a year, and I was just astonished yeah. at how much I really loved it and everything. And then I guess that might have primed, put me in the wrong mood i guess to watch this movie well no i mean when you see like one film from the 70s that's really tight and you know very scary i think it it does it does make you think like oh you know this is how everything should be at least but that's not not the the case case. of course that's not how everything is yes no that's not the case of course and we're back yeah so before the break uh, we were discussing, I well, you know, Texas Chainsaw versus, um, I, you know, this film. I don't know if it was really versus necessarily. But well, that's a, that's a bit... Um, as an example of a different approach. yeah. But the thing is, it's a disingenuous comparison for me because... They're very different films. I mean, one of them is... One of them, the intent is not necessarily a creeping dread. It's just no. a very... It's a sledgehammer to the face, basically. Yeah, no, it's not. And then the other, you know, Amityville is at least, in a way, trying for this creeping dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which I think, to an extent, it it, you know, does. It does. It 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 has. It definitely has an effect. Um, you know, during the break, actually, I was reading about the um, uh, uh, what is his name, James Brolin's, uh, you know, process of casting. And basically, he was reluctant to take a part in the film. Um, So the script was unfinished at the time. So he decided he'd read the book um, just to see. Okay. And he started it and read it until two o'clock in the morning. He was so compelled by it. And he'd hung up a pair of pants in his room. And during an especially like, I, I don't know which part of it it was, but one of the more intense scenes his pants dropped like they fell to the floor from wherever he'd hung them and he jumped out of his bed like he was so scared and that's what got him to do the film that's it um so i guess that's the sort of effect they were building toward i guess in in general yeah i do think one of the interesting things about this film is in terms of a haunted house film it is i mean they definitely it's like incremental things building up in terms of supernatural things and then on top of that it's also incremental kind of family fraying and this sort of like nerves fraying and george so it's this sort of like mirroring 
where both things are kind of slowly escalating. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has this, uh, this sort of dual track in a way of well, and I guess that's a common tool to to horror in general that like the psychological intensity and the supernatural intensity match each other. Um, but yeah, um, I do think that this film, especially like for me, it uh, it delivered on the best goods in the last sequence where it where it does go into that more um, over the top register where it has the blood coming down the stairs and. Uh, for me, I, I think, you know, so actually the thing is, um, I, I live on Long Island in New York and Amityville is fairly nearby me. So I, I sort of grew up with this story. Like I, I knew about it a lot as, as a kid who was, um, interested in, you know, horror or whatever. Um, and the thing that I always recalled that I was waiting to show up in the film was the pig like the you know she so throughout the film you have this the daughter has an imaginary friend that we never see um who is responsible for a number of sinister occurrences most notably i would say it's there's that sequence where the babysitter gets locked in the closet right yeah yep yeah, that was like I thought that was pretty good. With you know, it it derives a lot from just the simple gesture of shutting out the light and everything. That's I, I like it when horror films work with those sort of spare yeah. means. Um, but at the end, when George is fully um, insane, we see the imaginary friend, and it's this sort of monstrous pig. Uh, in one of the eye-like windows of the house. And that was, I thought, that was like, first off, it was just an effective image. But it also gave me that jolt of recollection that is... Uh, is it just the eyes or do they show the pig's face? They they have the red eyes, and then at the end, the, you do see parts of the, the pig's face. Um, okay. With It's sort of lit darkly, but it is there. Um, whereas earlier in the film, you actually just see the eyes initially. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it does. it is a unique thing because you don't always hear about, well, you usually don't hear about demonic pigs. But they're, they're, uh, they're an animal that has been associated classically with the devil. Yeah, I mean, I'm do, I told you off air, I'm listening to the audiobook of The Exorcist, and um, the terminology, like he keeps calling, or the Captain Howdy, yeah. or a.k.a. the devil that's possessing Reagan. Uh, spoilers for a 40-year-old for thing. For The Exorcist. <laughs> um, spoilers for The Exorcist. Uh, keeps calling Reagan a sow and a little pig. And so there's a lot of pig terminology. So yeah. I think that is lined up with the demonic yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Lord of the Flies, obviously. Yeah, yeah. E- even the Exorcist movie, like one of the most famous effects, obviously, is that when the demon is exiting her body, it's like, I think that's when it happens. There's this uh, unnatural sound that's actually pigs being led to the slaughterhouse played backwards so it had yeah so it has like anyway for some reason 
pigs have that association, but you don't... I think it's because they roll around in the mud. Yeah, and have that sort of sinister grunting noise and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But but you actually don't see that in films much. Certainly not. No, you really don't. So it's nice to... Nice to see a demon pig, I guess. <laughs> it is. It's always goats, but the pigs need the love the pigs, too because they're smarter. They're so. smarter and they're they're so cooler. If, it, and... if there were going to be demonic animals, I'd be more afraid of the pig because the pig could actually well, come the, up with traps. The goat stuff. has <laughs> the horns, though. You know. The yeah, that's true. The goat has the horns. Black Philip, you know, he he gores you or whatever. That's <laughs> that's. That's a little more, I, I don't know what a pig, I mean, honestly, a pig could probably do a lot of damage too. Well, I mean, there is the famous um, aspect of the book and the film Hannibal, oh. where um, Mason Verger trains these pigs to eat uh, human flesh and bone, and I, I guess they can do that. They can eat bone. That's pretty, that's pretty intense. So they're used, they're most often used in terms of like, gangster films and like getting rid of a body kind of a thing right 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 and they also have this i guess association that's different from the goat in that it's like much well, like gluttony yeah gluttony like greed consumption things like that which is actually probably why if i'm thinking of pig imagery i've seen in movies it does actually tend to occur more in like serial killer films or yeah. um political films or something than it does in supernatural horror movies but i think part of it is there's sort there is even though it's creepy there is an element of ridiculousness to a demonic pig that i don't know that you have (laughs) if you think of a demonic right horse or a goat or a cat or dog or whatever well yeah a goat a goat has more um i guess uh what's the word i'm looking for i mean personally now that i brought it up i think a demonic horse would be a real fucking creepy you just look out your window and it's a like horse. a creepy horse yeah, yeah. let's let's write that horror movie sean let's make a demonic horse movie. demon horse yeah demon, that's the there you go that's your title demon horse simple to the point <laughs> simple and to the point yeah uh, but anyway yeah, we're getting up. off track. i wrote that i'd become a billionaire <laughs> <laughs> it's uh but anyway we're getting we're getting way off track way off topic yeah uh, i got some brain fog from my covid shots so <laughs> i apologize <laughs> So, uh, anyway, and uh, other effective things in the film, I really like the idea of this red room at the bottom of the stairs, um, that, you know, the dog is scratching at this wall the whole movie, and eventually it, you know, they break the wall down, and it's just this, it's like, there's nothing in it, it's just this red room with like uh it looks like it looks more like paint than blood to me but yeah it has a sinister quality although i did think that immediately after when um the i forget her name carol caroline or yeah oh that's psychic i could have just cut out of the entire film. she does ooh, it's the passage to hell like in a spooky voice and i was like okay <laughs> he pushed but the it. thing is they have a floating head so it's like why don't you just have the head say it yeah yeah no i mean like honestly it, it was it would have been more effective i think like yeah i get i get what you're saying like yeah i think the whole subplot of like the employee that shows up like i, I don't mind the scene where he's like hey boss you haven't sent out the checks or whatever 
I do think it's a little extraneous when they meet in a bar and then he introduces his girlfriend who happens to be psychic. Yeah, yeah, Who brings up demonic stuff about the house. See, the thing is that stuck out to me, this is one of the things, is that, um, you know, unlike other horror films from the 70s or 80s, this is basically early 80s. um, Yeah. That... I, you know, I, I have heard about all of the parodies and then I watch them and then I find them sincerely terrifying in a way. This one definitely does have an element of hokiness to it, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not, but there's, yeah, there's definitely scenes like, for instance, there's a scene where the priests are trying to drive back to the house and... I don't remember why, but they lose control of the car and then it's like the hood of the car comes up and not only is it, I mean, it's somewhat tense, but not only does it seem sort of ridiculous, it makes you wonder like, what the hell are the rules? Then? Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what's the consistency? Like, they're nowhere near the house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, there's, there's just little touches that, and honestly, like I could see that being part of the charm. I mean, I think this is. You know, it's interesting to watch films that are somewhat dated sometimes and like have have aged in weird ways or whatever. And honest like for me, the scenario, if I see myself rewatching this movie, it's like a good like seasonal Halloween type movie with like all of the spooky trappings and I mean, see, when I think of it, I think of like since I hate the edits so much and the length, like, what would this play like if you just cut out all the stuff that's outside of the house? Yeah, me, that's, to me, that would have made for a, a much more effective film, personally. And it, you know, if you did it, like, just based off of the the film right now, I think there would be some, you'd be like, well, why did that happen and this happened? But at the same time, you know, I think sometimes people try to explain a little too much because the... Right. average viewer or reader is sort of obnoxious in terms of like i want a specific <laughs> yeah. answer and i think sometimes that kills the no the tension and the the fear of the horror elements because if you explain it too much then you've basically taken the butterfly and you pin it down and yeah like this is what it looks like and it's no longer alive it's just this dead sort of lumpy thing yeah no i i really honestly hate horror that goes too far in explaining things like and at the same time sometimes you don't want it to be too too vague like because then that can just i mean i think they're gonna be a nice even medium i think with this film you know they'll they establish this book and this you know side character that owned the house before and all that which that's fine but i think it might maybe spend too much time establishing it yeah like you know to me, honestly, all this needs to establish it is the murders that occurred in the house. Like, you, right? No, they don't really. I but mean, then if they, they have wanna... like this burial ground, and then there's a Satan worshiper who lived on the land. Well, again, that's why I think maybe this would have worked better. And you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think it might have worked better if they just found this book inside the house, right? And then the you know Kathy is like reading the book or something instead of having these external characters that we never really see again that aren't related to the family yeah. have being the ones to bring it up. And then there is this one thing I I personally didn't like, but 
was also, now that I think of it, really similar to The Shining in a way, in that she goes she goes to the news clippings, right? And yeah. she sees that uh, the murderer, Ronald DeFeo, is looks exactly oh, like... Oh, looks exactly like her husband. Yeah, that didn't make sense is the thing, because like, this... they talk about him being a kid, but then it's like, but he's like a 40-year-old man in the picture. <laughs> and, and it's like... First, like, that's a huge fabrication as well. And then it's like, so you're suggesting this is some sort of, like, reincarnation deal or, like, I don't know. It's like, or... It's, yeah, it, 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 um, I I will say, I think in The Shining, it actually makes sense. Oh, yes. Because that's sort of the whole aspect of The Shining is it's various people being made to... Uh, inhabit the caretaker role again oh, absolutely. inhabited before and no with the shining it works because not only is it um you know is it, it it's part of the texture there's a, a lot about time and history in the shining so it works um and the sort of cycles of violence which is what i think the shining yeah yeah but in this Unless it just doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like, it's why, like what? Because what? <laughs> what it's like, they don't even try to establish like that they're secretly related or anything. It's just like, they no, never, they look exactly the same. It and happens like, right. Okay, so first of all, yeah, go ahead. I feel like if you look exactly the same, the realtor, when he saw him, or when she saw him, would have been like, holy shit, what? Like, or you the look priest, exactly the same. Literally the anyone. Who lived here. <laughs> Like the policeman, the priest, somebody would have noticed. No one that. says it to him. Like they, they, they kind of like the you know the bartender at one point says, "You look just like," and you think he means like in terms of being pale or maybe similar. But it's like no, it's like a picture, literal it's same exactly person. <laughs> and it's like the thing is, its placement is so weird because it comes right near the end of the film. Right. Yeah, that's and then true. they never also, talk like, about it. Even though I don't like the effect, if we were going to do it, wouldn't you make more sense to do it earlier? It just like raises like a baffling, but not like an interestingly ambiguous question or whatever. It's just like. W- <laughs> but you know what, though, in that regard, it does make me think of you had recently seen the original Last House on the Left. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I take you, you didn't like, which is fair. I, well, actually. I remember reading and you were like, oh, it's misogynistic and amateur. I, I don't. And I, I said that. And then Emily was like, but it is. I'm like, well. I, well, I the thing is, true, okay. Actually. Let me just say, because actually at, at one point I was thinking we could cover that on here, but I don't I know. just want to bring up, though, real quick, the in terms of like stuff that doesn't fit. The whole part with the the policemen that are trying to catch a ride and then they end up with like a chicken coop and yeah, like it's, all of that makes no <laughs> sense. Like you could have like I don't know why it's well, there. So like okay, here's my thing. Um, I I don't like f- first off the thing you should know is that like if I didn't like a movie or didn't initially like a movie, my initial review is often way harsher than like I actually wind up feeling about it. So I actually, no, I mean that's fair though because also I find this happens with me too when it's something that's like older mm-hmm. I tend to be a lot more critical of it because people tend to have this weird reverence for it like right. I, I suspect though I've never seen the original 30s Dracula if I went back and watched it I'd be like that wasn't very good right 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 but I feel unless there was something unique like I know that um 
There's What's some great... Philip Glass did the score for Dracula at one point. So, like, if it was cut with that over it, that might be enough, but... Well, yeah, I and I actually like the original Dracula, I think. I've never actually seen it, to be fair, it, which I know is a blasphemous, but... No, it's not. I mean, it's been a while since I saw it, but it, it's decent. It's not my favorite Dracula, but obviously I have to just shout it out now that I've mentioned it. Um... Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula is for me. And you know, obviously the best Dracula the best film is Dracula, Dracula Dead and Loving Far. It by Mel Brooks. Oh yes. <laughs> I, I it's not even really a joke when people ask me what my favorite Dracula is. I'll say Gary Oldman, but in my head I'll think Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen is great in that film. Um, but yeah, honestly we're not gonna go off on a tangent, but very briefly, um yeah. like the history of Dracula's in film is very interesting to me because, like, in terms of trying to discern which one is not just the most popular version or the most iconic, but like, which one is the is the summative version of Dracula, if there is such a thing, it feels very difficult to describe. Like, which which one is, like, which one should be considered the definitive Dracula? Yeah, because on the one hand, I think what people love about the 30s Dracula, at least what I've gathered, is that he sort of stays the old man in the cape the entire time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Whereas in Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, even though I think it's a little more well-rounded, um... You know, like, some people don't like that he, like, goes from being an old man to a young man right. and switches around so much. Well, the thing is, like, here's... The thing that interests me is that, like, you got you got the Bela Lugosi Dracula, you have yeah. um, Christopher Lee's Dracula, there were a couple of Draculas in the 70s, and Nosferatu, obviously, the very first Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing that I really... One of the things I really love about the... Francis Ford Coppola movie is that it has all of those like it's got the old creepy Bela Lugosi type Dracula it's got like the younger more sexualized Dracula it's got you know bat monster Dracula like I think the funny thing is I think the reason people don't like it is because it's closer to the source material it's the closest to the source material so ridiculous and like the fucking cowboys in the book yeah no yeah nobody nobody remembers the cowboy um (laughs) but the thing is it's the closest to the source material but to me it also felt like since it came in the 90s which was like it's sort of near the end of the first century of cinema. And since Dracula has been part of cinema since the earliest stages, really, like Dracula has always been part of the movies. It felt almost like a reflection, not just on the novel, but on like the many faces of this character that have been presented in film. And that's, that's one of the reasons I love it, but we maybe we'll do that as an episode at some point, but, um, Getting back to the... How did we even get here from the Amityville Horror? I don't remember. Um, I got my cat in my ear, too. So <laughs> um, uh, this, is, this has been a really weird episode. <laughs> um, but no. Oh, God. Where did we... Oh, so something about um, era, films from a specific era. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So this was... I'm, okay, I gotta get back on track now. Um, this was what 1979. I think so. So yes. it's situated at an interesting bridge for me, where 
you know, it's sort of moving from the kind of nihilistic, violent horrors of the 1970s horror movie to the more... What's the word? I'm Like, 80s horror has a very different texture. And this felt like... I guess when I think of 80s films, I think of more of a haunting uh, kind of quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily, like, literal haunting, but just in... um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And it also... But it's not like it's... There are things that are hypervalent from the 80s, but primarily I think the bigger... Well, and then you get into slashers, though. I don't, it's complicated. But the thing... Here's the interesting thing to me, is that, like, to me, the 80s films definite. This is This is neither here nor there as a judgment. It's just a description. Like, the 80s films have much more of a moralistic bent to them, in a way. Oh, yeah, in, I would say so. In that, you know, they're directly addressing issues of religion and sex and you know uh you know uh, the family being under assault and whatever whereas the 70s films feel much more like because the 70s were a bleak decade in terms of like not just like the vietnam war and everything that was going on but like yeah but the the death of the 1960s there was an oil crisis yeah and and just the decline of like the 60s was a super idealistic decade well that's the thing you're seeing you know the end of the 70s is basically the death of the hippie because you know early 60s it's flower power and love and all that and then by the end of the 70s as you're getting into the 80s you're seeing people realizing that like did we actually do anything like we took all these yeah. drugs but it's like how many people got raped and murdered and yeah which like is like how yeah. rough have things become this is sort of like the the death of the hippie in terms of innocence too well that's to me that was what was interesting about last house on the left which they actually they do directly allude to that context several times and that it's like sort of you know the end of of the flower power dream you know like you know peace love whatever it's over that's what that's what makes the film even though it is like really amateurish and uh i mean is literally the first thing chris or he's not chris the, uh west craven made i think yeah and he said actually that you know he made it in part because he felt people were being desensitized to violence because of the vietnam war which really yeah. interested me um but anyway so that the 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 70s and i had thought mistakenly that it was the first film to use a chainsaw at least horror film but it is not it is not but i would say it's one of the one of the more popular ones before texas chainsaw yeah well one of the first significant ones maybe um yeah yeah because there's i i looked on wikipedia and there was like a war film that did it in the 60s but like it's not supposed to be a horror film yeah yeah whereas in the 80s again not like a criticism necessarily but in the 80s you start to see this sort of reassertion of a certain type of moral values um that was absent in the 80 in the 70s like you know texas chainsaw massacre is just despair about you know economic disasters and everything and whereas like you know films like nightmare on elm street or uh what's what's another like 
trying to think of examples now but well like friday the 13th for instance and the rise of the slashers they're very moralistic in terms of you know they establish these rules like if teens do drugs and have sex then they they get killed yeah and i think you can also like this movie doesn't have sex really outside of that one scene and it's not a slasher one scene i wonder (laughs) this is sort of facetious but i wonder how much of george's decline in his mental state is just that he never got to nut (laughs) during the first scene possibly very possibly um and he's just backed up but uh um but that's why he can't sleep too no but yeah i see what you mean there is one of the things i like about 70s horror is in this you know like say what you will about the films um but you know like last house on the left texas chainsaw massacre that was Wes Craven and Toby Hooper basically doing it all themselves. Um, yeah. To an extent, Halloween, I don't remember. I, I believe it's 74 Halloween came out, but it might have been earlier. Uh, might have been 68. Let me but, check. You know, like around Halloween. the 70s, How- you're seeing these people basically like this. Like we take for granted now that there are indie films and people right. do indie films, but like back in the seventies is when you're finally seeing this boom of indie films and they happen to lend themselves to horror films. Well, yeah, because that's, that's a really easy way to, I mean, people, honestly, the climate. Well, I think it's that horror fans, not to, I am a horror fan, but I think horror fans are a little more forgiving in terms of amateurishness right. or like, you know, false steps in ways that I don't know that drama fans or romance fans or mystery yeah. fans are. Well, the thing, just the, the truth of it is that for better or worse in good times or bad, horror fans show up for the movies that they, for their genre. And the thing is like horror as a genre you know, even in times where movies are doing badly, horror consistently brings in money because horror fans, for whatever reason, are an especially devoted group of uh, moviegoers. Or and it's yeah, um, which is why even today, in a climate that really is very unaccommodating for artistic filmmakers possibly even it really isn't yeah no even it's more interesting. so like you'll see ari aster making hereditary and midsummer and it'll be doing well but it's like thinking about other genres of film yeah you still get indie dramas and regular dramas that you know win oscars and stuff but just like the big films are like superhero things and right you're right. seeing this rise of like the uh, prequel sequel remake where it's just like we take an ip and then we redo it a million times yeah i mean and there's less room for really indie filmmakers like you know like b movies b movies are not as common now as they were in the 70s which well, is it's also that the b move and this is such a tangent but we yeah. should go back at some point but i think the thing about b movies is an you know, in the 60s, 70s, and even the 80s, B-movies were not uh, ironic. They were not necessarily well, yeah. self-aware. They were people trying to make movies that were good that just happened to be bad for whatever right, reason. Right. And nowadays, you get people intentionally trying to make B-movies, which that's not. I fun. don't feel like is an actual B-movie. Because if you're attempting to make it bad, that's sort of not... 
Yeah, no. Well, I mean, it's still enjoyable, but it's not the same. Here, so like, here's the here's the. Th- I was reading about this the other day. Like, obviously, the famous uh, B movie cult director John Waters, right? Yeah, he said he would go to horror and exploitation movies and porn movies and whatever. And he found them funny, like, because they are funny. I mean, they are a lot. And so then he made his films, like Multiple Maniacs and Pink Flamingos and, uh, you know, Female Trouble and whatever, which are sort of spoofs on those movies. Like, they they have that exploitation quality, but they're not really, like, they're they're funny. Like, they're not... Yeah. And he said that those movies... um, were never one success with the B movie crowd because when they went to those bad horror movies, they were really screaming at the horror movies. And when they went to the porn movies, they were masturbating to the porn movies. It wasn't like, it wasn't ironic. There wasn't a, right. um, but anyway, so like that was the new thing at the time. And, you know, John Waters's movies are great and they're wonderful, but now um, to me, the radical thing in a film is like complete sincerity. That's what's that's what's really interesting. Yeah, I think, which is somewhat hypocritical of me because I love to do dad jokes and stupid shit in my own scripts and all that. But, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, there is definitely things that I think horror movies are like horror movies and dramas and maybe mysteries. Well, okay, there's a lot of stuff, but you know, like actually having sincere ultra serious films it's so rare because everybody has this sense of irony now from the internet and everything has to be like three different levels of meta yeah and, you know. and everybody knows the genre tropes you know everybody's familiar with the structures of these films so there's an inclination to have at least like some sort of playful distance from them in a way but i would what i would really like to see And I'm sure there are examples, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't, but you know, what I look for now are films that are like dead serious about what they're doing, whether it be horror or, you know, even, you know, comedy doesn't have to be dead serious, obviously, but, um, it shouldn't be too. Well, just not being, I guess, being actually sincere about the, I guess, you know, circling back so we can go back into Amnesia Horror. One of the things I do appreciate about stuff like Amityville Horror, Texas Chainsaw, even though you could argue there are parts of Texas Chainsaw that are a little tongue-in-cheek, Last House on the Left, is they do take, even though they have silly stuff, they take it seriously. Like, when they made Amityville Horror, they weren't thinking, oh, well, people know about existing haunted house tropes, so we're going to, like, play up to that. I mean, they might have to an extent, but they're not, like, doing it in an ironic kind of jokey way they're right. doing it in a very serious like like a priest comes in and gets attacked by flies and yeah gets sick because this house is demonic and it's you know that's what it is yeah and the thing is you know even if this attempt like whatever you could think of um it doesn't not just this movie but even if i see a movie that strives for seriousness and fails and just becomes silly that's still more interesting and worthwhile to me because it shows like a grasp towards sincerity that fails that can be funny or or at least you know it shows that the person making it cared whereas um i feel like and this 
obviously this happened in the 1970s and 80s too, um, but it's very common today. I feel like, you know, the what often goes, you know, under the name of irony of being ironic about what you're doing, it actually just means you you didn't try, you didn't like put anything of your heart. Well, there's a cynicism <laughs> to it, and I feel hypocritical again saying this because I'm a very cynical person, but. There is sort of a joy to things that, for better or worse, are just like, I'm going all in, this is very serious, and it's supposed to be yeah. serious. And if it fails, it's usually very funny, because failed seriousness is always... <laughs> right, it's just, I don't know, we're in the era now where everything, as much as I love quips, I, I think they work better in like action films, but like everything has to have quips now, and it's like, right, okay, right, 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 right. well... But anyway, well... You know, we've been like, you know how much worse Amityville Horror would have been if they were just constantly quipping. Like, uh, yes, no. I mean, I'm, I'm like, just like stairs are bleeding again. Must be that time of the month, and then they high five or something. Uh, I don't know. God, oh my god, it would be awful, unbearable even. But um, yeah. Anyway, the Amityville Horror is not that type of movie. It is, you know, you could judge the degree to which it's successful. I personally, I just. I just didn't love this movie. It wasn't for me. Well, it's very uneven. I think when it's on, it's it really works. And, you know, when the sound design is good, it is really good. And when the editing is good and the acting and all that, it's just it has so much, again, almost like Last House on the Left, there's so much extra shit that just does not work. Right, 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 right. I mean, you know, and just to talk one more, like, you know, can we cut that out? I just don't know what I just came out of my mouth. <laughs> But, yeah, that's fine. I can cut um, it. Yeah, no, it it is. It's a, it's the sort of film that like it has really good moments, and I feel like there's a better movie in here in in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think what the reason it's so influential is because people recognize that there were moments that worked really well. And then sort of took those and applied them to later films. Right, right, right. And obviously, you know, it's probably what... So I've heard the franchise for this is notoriously bad. Is that correct? Oh, I haven't bothered to see any of... I mean, I saw the remake and it's fine, but I think it's... it's. I don't know. I mean, it's a product of those 2000 era, like remakes uh, yeah i've heard that the sequels are just terrible uh, i'm sure they're just gone off yeah i am really curious about the sequel to this movie because it was directed by an italian giallo director and it has like incest and murder and all of this like lurid off the wall stuff that sounds like it would be very. It sounds like it'd be good, but you never know. Sometimes. No, it's still I mean, just bad. probably it would be like really terrible, but it would be funny <laughs> to me. So I might watch that. Um, but but anyway, it. So I mean, this film as a film on its own, it stands well. But then, as is inevitable with like these franchises it just gets out of hand um yeah i still think it's one of the better horror films of the 70s but i think that's more for what what it inspired the influence and, you yeah. know like like you know various set pieces and stuff i don't know that maybe i don't know that i want to go through the whole thing chronologically because it seems like we're 
kind of getting to the point where we're looping into tangents and stuff. Yes. <laughs> but just real quick, you know, basically George gets more and more insane. At one point there's a wedding. Um, they lose money for the caterer because I guess the house steals money. Yeah. Which is one of the more interesting <laughs> parts, I think, is the economic aspects oh, yeah, of the Oh, yeah, the film. house does. Yeah, no, I. that's a good connection to make. With the house um, that literally swallows money. <laughs> yeah, it's, it literally takes the money. One of my favorite um, subplots is every uh, nun or priest who goes to the house just gets sick. I found that kind of amusing. It is interesting. I do feel bad for the priest character because he's sort of very... He's like fighting the whole movie to try to like help them and, you know... He, clear the house of demonic spirits and ultimately he just ends up going blind yeah and i thought we were gonna get some closure with that but no no but the end is just he's sitting on a bench and it's like that's it he's just blind uh tragic he he was um, but, he was yeah, the biggest then, victim <laughs> you know eventually we get to a very shining like conclusion where george is like frothing at the mouth and He's just sort of, like, running around, hitting his wife, like, threatening his kids. And eventually he sort of snaps out of it. Yeah, yeah. He, his wife says something or something that snaps him out of it. Um, yeah, and then we, you know, they're... I think that one of the best parts of the film is when they're running away and it's like the house is, like, falling apart. Yeah, I liked that. Stairs are bleeding and, you know, like, the basement. The, the... We sort of mentioned it, but real quick... You know, it's established that there is this red room in the bottom of the house, that it is sort of a portal to hell, basically, that there was a guy who was a Satanist or a witch who lived there, or wizard, rather. Yeah. Um, And, um, yeah, so they, you know, they don't even take their stuff. They go to leave. And then he forgets Um, the dog. (laughs) They forget the dog, so George goes back for the dog. He ends up falling. Like, the basement cracks a bit, and he ends up falling into this, like, black goo yeah that was that was nice black goo is always an effective yeah and he you know gets up gets the dog and they go off and the text says they left that night and they never came back and it has the same you know shots of rain and thunder that were at the start which was you know nice nice bookend to yeah the so i mean i don't know when i say this is one of the better horror films of the 70s i don't mean in terms of it being necessarily the most um professionally made the most well edited but when it has its moments they work yeah no i would say it's definitely worth seeing if if you're a fan of haunted house movies or horror movies in general um it just didn't connect with me for whatever reason although i could easily it's you know that's fair it didn't necessarily i (laughs) remember this happens to me a lot but i remembered this film as being better than it was well, I mean, that's fairly widespread. It's, it's fairly common. Especially... But, you know, like, when I saw this originally, it was like, you know, I was, like, younger. I was, like, you know, 12 through 18, and I'm taking in this stuff for the first time, and then yeah. I'm going back, like, oh, this 70s film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a quality to a film when you first see it that that isn't the same often on the second watch. Yeah, and the, the context of, like, how old you were, what the culture was like, or whatever, really can change your view you know like i think i could definitely enjoy this more on a second viewing honestly um uh just some things that i liked i as i said the production design is great um i really liked the sort of autumnal atmosphere with all of the trees and leaves and everything yeah it gave gave it a nice like texture um the performances were pretty good overall 
the score academy award winning i guess but or nominated, <laughs> nominated i should say yeah um, i do think the sound design is legitimately good and i agree there are some ask there are some special effects that they're pretty budget but they think they work yeah no i agree um i like the blood from the staircase like it's the sort of thing where i was watching it where you can kind of clearly see how they did it but yeah it still works because it, it has the you know, it, well, that's the thing about in-camera stuff is like even if it doesn't look good, it's always there. Yeah. You can always feel the tangible in quality twenty of it. in twenty twenty one. We'll have CGI blood rolling from the walls, and it'll look right. Awful. And that's the and then you can still I don't know I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where CG stuff will ever seem tangible because there's just this element of like it not being there. The thing is, it can look as realistic as possible. But it just doesn't. It just doesn't have the same effect. It, and I, I wonder how much of that is actors too, because they try their best, but ultimately they're staring at a green screen. Yeah, or they're staring there's at a this, tennis ball. There's this shot from one of the Marvel movies where it's a scene, and it was a it was an on set photograph, and it's like Robert yeah. Downey Jr. sitting in a chair. And then everything around him is just green. It's just because yeah, they, like that's what they're doing and now. Is they're just running around in a big playground (laughs) and that can't be good for actors honestly like really like you know uh, acting is at that point i'm like why wouldn't you just like cg the whole thing it i mean frankly honestly like that's where this is all headed is that the the human being like the bojack horseman thing of like just somebody being i mean we're already at the point where there are deep fakes so i i don't think we're that (laughs) i mean we aren't that far off you know like um Henry Cavill had his mustache CG'd out. In, like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, in whatever movie. And then it's like, um, recently, Army of... The, well, I don't know how much of this was CGing in, but uh, this film, Army of the Dead, that Zack Snyder did, one of the actors in it got Me Too'd, mm. like, fairly grossly. He was going after teenage girls. Yikes. So, needless to say, they cut him out of the film, but they put in this other actress, and I guess they just... Like, you know, filmed it separately and then just kind of cut her over him. Yeah, it's, I don't know. And I mean, like, now we're even bringing people back from the dead with CG, which I... Oh, that stuff is... It's disgusting. creeps me out, too. Uh, uh, You know, as you said with Bojack, where, like, this isn't really a spoiler, but, like, he's in a movie... And then He's they in just a movie, and they just CG him in, and then he wins an Oscar for it. That I honestly do not think that is out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> no, I would say we're not even ten years away from that. But anyway, uh, practical effects and real people will always beat computer-generated imagery. That's... Well, I think there's just that <laughs> element of like, if you are an actor that gets to see the blood, even knowing that it's pumped from a hose, your mind is like, that's blood. It has and you more of react an... in a certain way. Whereas if it's just a, a green staircase, you don't react the same way. You just can't. Even if you're the best actor in the world, you can't. Right, right, right. You can't, you're not literally seeing it. But yeah. Anyway, we've but yeah. Been... No, I think uh, I think we should wrap this up. But yeah, Amityville Horror, decent enough. Yeah, we'll give it a watch. Yep, um, <laughs> it's a good movie. I mean, it's a good movie. I I don't love um, it, but you know. It's it's still very influential and worth seeing, and you might like it more than I did, and I might like it more than I did the first time on a second viewing, so worth checking out. 
Yeah, so anyway, just going to do some quick plugs. We're on Twitter at CelluloidSits. Our official hub on the internet is anchor.fm slash CelluloidSits. We have a Patreon. I'm probably never going to update it. I've just, I'm just going to stop saying I'm going to update it. <laughs> but, don't expect it's going to get updated. It will eventually, but don't expect it to be anytime soon. It, um, it is yeah, there. Give me a dollar anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, for Celluloid Citizens, I'm Sean M. Thompson. I'm Brian O'Connell. And uh, watch out for them demonic pigs. Yeah.